just starting off with a story. Um, about 20 years ago, a group of high school students had the opportunity to travel to South Africa. Now, these are Midwestern Illinois high school students, so you can imagine that's a pretty big change. They were getting this opportunity to see things, to smell things, to taste things, to experience things like never before. Um, they uh, got the opportunity to go on a hike through a national park there. Now this is very different than our Midwestern hikes through Starved Rock or Turkey Run. You know, when we go and, and we enjoy the, the nature, of course, but um, we see squirrels and we see birds and, you know, maybe a deer. But here, you get to be up close and personal with a lot of different animals, right? Zebra, elephants, even lions. And those are the kinds of things that we usually only get to see when we're at the zoo. So this was definitely a great experience for them, something you know, they would keep with them forever, right? Um, these animals, again, they're in a national park. Like, so I think of it a lot like this summer, my family traveled to Gatlinburg. We went to the Smoky Mountains. And while we were there, we saw bears. Now the bears are very used to humans, right? So there's a level of fear that's not there between animal and human anymore. And it's similar, I think, in this area, in South Africa, at this park. There's all these animals around, and there's this level of fear that's been broken because the animals are used to humans, and the humans are, you know, at least the ones that are there regularly are probably used to the animals, seeing them, know how to keep their distance, that kind of thing, how to stay safe. But even still, they are wild animals, so there is a measure of safety that has to take place. Now, to get even more comfortable, uh, this high, group of high school students got to see and experience a lion up close and personal. There was actually a lion, she had a name, her name was Eliza, and she was a young lion, she was not even full grown yet, but she would walk through them like a common house cat, just rubbing up against them. They could reach out, they could touch her, they could pet her. So that was definitely an amazing experience. But again, even though this animal was somewhat domesticated in that way, or maybe it just felt that way, um, she was still a wild animal, and she still hunted her own food. And so the guide gave the students, probably about 30 to 40 students and chaperones or adults, gave them a rule. He said, I want you to stay within one meter of each other the whole time. Now, one meter is about three feet. So staying in a group three feet apart at all times. That's the rule, right? Why did he say this? Because he knew they would be safer when they stick close together. There's safety when we're sticking close together. I mean, we see animals do this too, right? Animals run in packs or in herds or a flock, whatever the case may be. They stay close together. You know, if you have a flock of sheep, like they, they stay together, a herd of sheep, they're close because it's harder for a predator to take them out, right? They stick really close together. You see this with the predator side, you know, wolves run in packs. And so they are hunting together, they are living together, and they do this because it makes them stronger. They have more success when they work together. It is essential for their survival. See, we are made to stick together. We are made to stick together. We are made for community. 
And we are actually safer and stronger when we are together. Now, I know that seems like a really weird thing to say, given the times we live in, because, you know, a lot of our language has been not staying together, or staying together but staying apart. So there's a lot of that. So it seems like a weird thing to say in the times that we live in. But I truly believe that the Holy Spirit is telling us that we are in a time when we need to increase our community. So, looking at Ecclesiastes in chapter 4 today, I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. It says two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. So I don't know if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, but most of this is a very sad book. There's a lot of everything is meaningless and oh, what is the purpose of life kind of thing. It's a very sad book, and Solomon actually wrote this during this dark time in his life, and he was struggling with depression and struggling for meaning. And there, so, you know, that's why it's, everything is meaningless, everything is meaningless. But he realized as he was writing this, and he, as he kind of came to this conclusion, that it's not good to stay in your loneliness. God intended, you know, community for our lives. We are safer and stronger when we are together. The physical community that we have, I mean, I think all of us need it on some level, right? We need physical interactions, face-to-face -face interactions. We need game nights with friends. We need, you know, lunch dates with a friend or, you know, a mentor uh, or coffee. We need play dates with other parents and their children. You know, people that are in, in similar stages of life as us, we need that. And as believers, we need to be gathering together with other believers. We need our church on Sunday. We need our small groups. We need worship nights. Those are all good things. They're not just the fun things that we throw in or things that we try to do, but we believe they are essential to our life of faith. Hebrews 10 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, we need our group, or our herd, or our pack, right? Because it makes us stronger. We help each other. I don't really like to exercise, if I'm being honest. Right? Okay, I've, I've been exercising, trying to make that a part of my life for about the past year. I've been pretty consistent. But the only reason I'm consistent is because I have accountability. I am more consistent when I have someone to exercise with, when I have a live person, when I have a set time and a meeting place. Sure, there are days when I work up the motivation to do it on my own. But you know what? When I am doing it on my own, I'm definitely not going to push myself as hard. I'm not going to be as strong. It's way, way easier to tell a video that, no, I'm not going to do one more burpee. But when I do it 
when I work out with my friends, when I get together, when it's a physical thing, it doesn't feel like such a chore. It feels fun, it feels good, and it spurs me on to work harder and to be stronger. Now thinking back to these past four weeks, hopefully you have been keeping up with our thought series. Um, we've had some really good, good messages these past four weeks. And this really plays a part in what we're talking about today. Um, we've talked about how we believe lies, right? That's part of our thought process. And sometimes we make up lies or believe lies and make up excuses for why we can't be a part of church. You know, it's, I don't really need to go to church, right? I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go. I have my own friends outside of church, so I don't need new friends. I don't need community inside of the church. You know, I'm not going to join a small group. Nobody likes me. That's a lie. I don't have time to go. Well, we've talked about that before, right? Like, it's all about prioritizing our time. And, you know, it's, it's not just about the one thing. It's not just about these one, one excuses. I mean, they do. They add up the excuses, the lies. They kind of build off of each other. And I'm not even just talking about like, oh, I missed a Sunday here, or, you know, I didn't go to small group that week because something came up. You know, that's, that's life. Like, things happen, right? We're going to miss out sometimes. But it's more about how do we engage? Are we engaging or disengaging in these things? You know, if you miss a Sunday, are you still going to small group through the week? Um, if you can't make it to small group, are you still checking in, you know, just uh, checking in with your group? Are you, you know, talking to people? Are you interacting with people? That kind of thing. We rationalize in our minds reasons to pull ourselves away from community. And we convince ourselves that being in a community of believers is a chore. But spending time in community shouldn't be a chore. You know, it, it shouldn't be a task. It shouldn't be a burden. So instead, we have to rewire and renew our minds, right? Rewire our thoughts. Reframe how we look at community because it's supposed to give us life, not tear us down. It's not supposed to be so hard. In the book of Acts, the believers really took to heart living in community with one another. Um, in Acts chapter 2, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God, and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So the people learned how to be in community with one another. And the more they committed their time, the more they committed their resources, the more they committed to each other, they saw God move in miraculous ways. So experiencing these things together helped them grow in faith. I mean, listening to teachings together, discussing it with each other. I mean, imagine if they just went and listened to the teachings, but then never talked about it, right? 
they might not grow. They might not, they might think in their head, but they might not be able to bounce ideas off of each other. They might not be able to learn together. Um, imagine if, you know, they didn't spur each other on and motivate each other. They wouldn't have been able to help other people. You know, they were able to pool their resources, it says, and help people in need. And so this wasn't necessarily just a natural part of their lives before they committed to it. But once they did, once they went all in, it grew to be a natural part. It grew to be something they enjoyed doing together. So one person might not have been able to accomplish much, as much as the whole group. And this is how God's design works. That's why we are called the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, The human body has many parts, but many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. See, we were designed for togetherness, right? And it goes on to talk about how the body works together and why it's important. But I want to jump down in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 for a minute to verses 25 and 26, because I feel like this really sums up the why. Verse 25 says, This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. This is why we as a church believe in small groups. This is why we think they're so essential to being a church. You know, when someone is sick, when someone is grieving, when someone is struggling, you know, there are other members of the body to support them. When someone has good news to share, they can feel celebrated. They can rejoice together. You know, sometimes there are practical means involved. You know, I think I've shared before, you know, someone has a baby, you might make a meal train. You might send them meals. If someone is sick and can't leave their house, you might drop off groceries. There are practical ways we can help each other during, during times. So then why is it, if this is true, then why do we still sometimes feel lost in the crowd? Why is loneliness and isolation still such a big struggle for so many? See, it's not enough to be physically present and be physically in the herd or the pack, but you also have to be emotionally present. You see, we have to choose to be known. We choose to be known. It's a choice. Vulnerability is a choice. And being known isn't about how many people know your name or if they see your face in a, in a room, in the physical space, I mean, you can go to work, or you can go to school, or you could go anywhere where you are physically around people all day long and still not feel known. It's easier to let others know you, though, when you understand that you are known by God, and that's part of our identity in Christ. 1 Corinthians 8.3 says, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, this is relationship. This is who we are. We are made in the image of God. And he didn't just create one man, right? He created a woman. He said, it's not good for a man to just be alone. I'll create a woman. And he told them, go fill the earth. Go multiply. Make more of you. God's design was never just for one man. It was for an entire community of people that he knows deeply. So think about social media, I think, really puts it in perspective. 
Now, I have hundreds of friends on my list, right? Hundreds of people I know on social media. I use the air quotes, no, I know them. <laughs> but if I'm not in regular contact with someone, do I really know them? I only know what they post, right? I only know what's being shown. I, you know, I may not have known they moved across the country until they finally say they have, or, you know, all of a sudden pictures show up and they live somewhere else. Um, I may not know they got divorced until all of a sudden there's a picture of them, them with someone new and not their spouse, um, or the person that I knew was their spouse. I don't know anything until somebody posts it, until someone discloses it. And of course, I mean, that's just how relationships work, right? We have to allow people to know us and they and to be known. And it's impossible for me to know everyone on my friends list. I can't know in that deep way hundreds of people. It's just not, I don't have the brain space for it. And it's the same thing in real life. I mean, this is how it is. Again, I can't know everybody in a room of 100 people, maybe even 50 people, to know them deeply. But people are only going to know what I tell them. I'm only going to know what you tell me. And that, of course, depends on our relationship. So sometimes we don't even know the impact people will have in our lives until we meet them, until we interact with them. Um, we don't know that we needed them, or they don't know that they needed us. We don't know that until we take a chance and we engage with others. So, how do you do this? Do you slip into church on a Sunday morning? Don't make eye contact? Sit down in the back row as quickly as possible? And then once the service is over, jump right up and head out the door, hopefully with just a, barely a hide of the door greeters. You know, do you avoid joining a class that you might be interested in or joining a small group because, you know, you're afraid of what might happen? Are you watching online but choosing not to engage in the comments? You're probably reading them, right? I'm reading the comments, but I'm not actually going to say anything. I'm not actually going to talk and let people know that I'm here. See, being known is a choice. And when you choose to participate and choose to be known by others, your experience will change. Years ago, my husband and I began attending the Vineyard Church in Urbana. And, you know, at that time, we went a few times, we decided that's where we want our church home to be. We were, we were gonna call that, we committed. And I remember thinking, I had never been a part of a church that large before. There was a lot of people. And so I knew that I was not going to be able to be known by everyone. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to know everyone. And, you know, same thing with the pastors. There were a lot of pastors on staff, which again, is something I wasn't used to. I was used to like maybe one, maybe two pastors. Um, but there were several on staff at the time. And that was new, and I knew they weren't gonna know me, right? I had to make myself known. And so I decided to, week after week, as the service would end, go out to the area where visitors and guests were directed, and there was always a, you know, people out there to greet you and meet you and a pastor. And so week after week, I would go and introduce myself to the same pastor. Introduce myself and reintroduce myself because the first few times I totally did not expect him to remember my name Right like That happens when you're meeting tons of people. It's hard to keep all the names straight So I didn't expect him to remember my name 
until I kept going back and back because I wanted to keep reintroducing myself until he knew me and it worked. And I just started like with the one. And of course I got to know other pastors later on. We joined small groups, I got to meet people. We served in various areas, I got to meet people that way. So there was a lot of ways that I purposefully made myself known. So you have to choose to be known. And you have to choose to be a part of the pack. Now, going back to those high school students for a minute, the high school students that went to South Africa. Now that was an amazing, amazing experience for them, like I said, and they had their one rule of safety. But did they actually feel any fear? Did they feel like their lives were in danger? Maybe not. One high school student in particular thought about it a lot as he stopped during the walk to change his camera lens. Didn't want to miss out on the really great photo ops, right? You've got all these animals around, you don't want to miss out. So he stopped to change a lens on his camera and his group kept moving forward. And so he could see them. They kept going, he was paused, trying to get it done as quickly as possible. And they were about 10 feet away. And he thought for a moment, about what the guide had said. Stay within three feet of each other at all times. And so in his mind, he's rationalizing, you know, oh, is there really a threat here? Am I really in danger? I mean, he could see the group, like it was far, but not that far. Um, you know, he didn't feel a sense of danger. But remembering what the guide had said, he decided to take a look at his surroundings. And he began to scan the horizon thinking in his mind about that little lion, Eliza, and thinking he hadn't seen her in a while. So as he scans the horizon, he turns back, and what does he see? Eliza. And she's charging full speed towards him. And so reacting like anyone would when being chased by a wild animal, he takes off running towards his group, starts off as fast as he can go, but that lion She's quick, and she's strong, and she was waiting for the right moment. And she runs up to him, reaches out her paw, and smacks him to the ground. Now, fortunately, in this situation, Eliza was not looking for food. She didn't have her claws out. The boy was unharmed. He was just knocked to the ground, and it was not a totally unsafe situation. But it was definitely an experience that made him realize that why the guy had said what he said, why it was important to stay in the group. You know, he had strayed from his group just a little bit, still thinking he was safe, but that lion was watching and she was waiting for the right moment to take her prey. And uh, if you're ever curious about more of that story or more experiences in South Africa, that actually is a true story. That boy that got attacked by the lion there was my husband, Brad, and I'm sure he would love to share with you one day if you ever want. But he had strayed from the group, right? So I want to go back to Ecclesiastes for a minute and just read you the last verse there. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So we are safer and stronger together. 
So there are a few ways you can respond to this message today, right? Maybe in your heart you feel like it's time to commit to something, commit to being known, commit to being engaged. And maybe that means Sunday mornings. Um, maybe it means trying to come physically. Maybe it means engaging online in the comment section, engaging with others one way or another. But maybe you need to commit to making it purposeful at the same time. Put it on your calendar kind of a thing. Maybe you need to sign up for a class or a small group. We have those going on. Um, some, some of the groups might be online. Of course, if you ever want an online group, please, we would love to talk to you and empower you to start one. Uh, there's always needs, but there's a lot of different groups meeting. And so, and, and classes that are even available online. So don't let that be the only thing that stops you. Um, maybe it's choosing to ask for prayer, right? Maybe, you know, you need to comment right now in the chat, I need prayer. And it's okay if it's personal. Um, someone would message you personally and pray for you. Uh, it doesn't always have to be public. Maybe it's just offering to pray for someone else or just sharing what spoke to you today. But it's making that choice to be known. So the last thing might be is maybe you are not quite yet a believer. Maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus yet and you're going, well, I'm still trying to figure out what I believe, so I don't necessarily need to engage in a community of believers. But if that's you, then maybe today's the day. Maybe you are ready to say yes to Jesus. And if that's you, I would invite you to make that known in the chat right now. Make it known. I'm saying yes to Jesus today. If you're not there yet, that's okay. But again, make yourself known. Commit to giving it an honest try. To give community an honest try as you make your decision. So I'm just going to pray and... You can do whatever you need to do, um, however you need to respond today. So, Father, I just thank you for community. I thank you that, God, that you made us to be together, that you made us to work together, um, and that we can just be together. Um, I just pray that, that as we figure out what our next steps are, that you would just come and, yeah, just come, Holy Spirit. I just want to wait on you for a second, God. I just wait right now that you speak to people where they're at. You know the needs of our hearts, Lord. Thank you, God, for providing so many ways for us to connect. Amen.